0: Hey there, I'm Joey Dean, lead pastor of South Lakes Church in Oklahoma City. At South Lakes Church, we exist to be radically devoted to God, relentlessly committed to true community, and remarkably passionate for the lost. We hope your faith is strengthened and you grow closer to Jesus as you listen this morning. Now let's jump into this week's message. Good morning church hello hello good morning hey it's good to see everyone this morning hey so um man i am glad to be back we, we are just now starting over in some sort of rhythm tomorrow the construction crew is going to be out if you're watching online then uh you don't have no clue but we, we had a massive flood about a month six weeks ago now and so they're coming in tomorrow um and then just with Serve Sunday last week, which was awesome, we had about 50% of our church show up at John Glenn Elementary, about 125-ish people showed up, and, uh, and we, man, we just loved in the community, and it was awesome, and John Glenn, I know that the principal messaged me, and then I messaged some teachers, and they were like, man, you just have no clue, like, what it's been like this week, as yeah, a little bit of paint, some mulch, and just a lot of love goes a long ways, and so I'm excited that... Um, that we were able to do that. But man, I have been out of the pulpit for a month now. I can't believe it's been that long. Some of you are like, hallelujah, how do we get you out longer? Um, well, just wait till the sermon. You may, you may just let me go, all right? So we'll see what happens. But um, man, I'm excited to be here. I will tell you, I'm exhausted. So in the words of the great theologian Miley Cyrus, the last two nights, um, the uh, stomach bug has come in like a wrecking ball. And um, and so Friday night my wife was up with our 2-year-old and then last night at 12:30 our 7-year-old came in and I will I will spare you the details but I am having nightmares just on stage Thinking about it right now. So, and then when I got here, and it was just like text message after text message, and it was like, oh, stomach bug. Obviously, it's wiping out our young church, which, hey, I'd rather wipe it out now than last week at Serve Sunday or for Easter. And so I'm glad that you're here this morning. And I just want to say thank you for serving at Serve Sunday. Hey, I want everyone to do me a favor, real quick. So, we have an app, okay? We have a South Lakes app. If everyone would pull out their phones, all right, if you're like, oh, I'm just visiting, I don't really want to download your app, hey, that's cool. Not a big deal. Even online, I know we've got a lot of people watching online with sick kiddos this morning. I want everyone to pull out their cell phones and get the South Lakes app, and I'm going to show you one thing that's very important, at least for me as your pastor, that I would like for all of you uh, to commit to do. So first off, sermon notes, all that kind of stuff. If you're watching online, you can actually watch straight from the app, all that stuff. At the top of the, uh, the app, there is a button that says, who is your one? And when you click on that... It's going to take you to a form. So here's what's happening. Easter is three weeks away. It's hard to believe that. And we are encouraging every person at South Lakes to think about one family member or one uh, uh, neighbor or whoever it is, a coworker or someone that you're like, this is my one that I'm going to commit to pray for. And this is the one that I'm going to commit to invite to come uh either during one of our Passion Week services on that Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night of Easter week or on Easter Sunday. And what happens is that on this app, if you will put down the name, you can just put down a last name if you want, of who who's your one that you're praying for. If Then if you'll put down your name and then if you have any specific prayer requests about how I can pray for you, when you hit submit, this will go to my inbox and I will add your person or your family or your co-worker, whoever it is, I will add it to my prayer list list and your staff and the elders and myself we will join you in praying for who that is now if you're like easter's three weeks away bro i don't have that one person yet that's okay it's going to be up here until now until Easter. When you think of that person when the Lord lays it on your mind, go to the Who's Your One button on the South Lakes app. Put down as much information as you're comfortable with, and then if you would just hit submit and I promise you, your person will be prayed for by name every day as long as well as I will be praying for you okay? We want to see God do a mighty movement during Easter, and especially coming off of a month that it was just crazy with flooding, and then serve Sunday, and then sickness. Man, we're just asking the Lord, man, do a mighty movement in in our church, okay? So, with all that being said, um, I would love for everyone to grab a Bible. I'd say grab one under the seats, but they all got damaged in the flood, so pull out your phones, all right? you can put, On the app, it's got a an app, uh, the, the The Bible's on the app as well. But I want you to turn to Joshua. Joshua chapter 16 this morning. Joshua 16. It is the sixth book in the Bible. We're at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Joshua. And I want to encourage you to take some notes this morning. So what we're doing is we're walking through the Bible as a church in 2022. And it has been a while since we've been up here doing this with different things going on. So let me just kind of recap the most important thing that you need to know. In Genesis chapter 12... God comes to a man by the name of Abram. And in Genesis 12, he says, I'm going to show you a piece of land that I'm going to give to you and your ancestors. Now, we call it the promised land. Okay? And what God does is he says... Abram, I'm going to give you the land. He tells Abram's son, Abram's grandson, Abram's great-grandson, and it's just passed down from generation to generation as God keeps reiterating, I have a special piece of land for you, okay? So after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God frees, 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 two and a half to three million Jews from slavery through a man at the young old age of 80 years old by the name of Moses, all right? And they walk out of Egypt free men and they get on the precipice of going to the promised land. And they send 12 spies out. And 10 of them come back and say, it's too big. We can't do it. There's giants. Let's just tuck, tail, and run. And two other men go, no, we can take it. God has promised us. And so after 40 years of wondering after that, after a whole generation dies out, they enter into the promised land. And when we get to Joshua 16, Joshua, who is the new leader because Moses has passed away, he begins to divide up and hand out the promised land to the tribes and he does this based upon tribe size and they cast lots and all this kind of stuff okay and that's where we are but the thing you need to know is from genesis chapter 12 until joshua 16 500 years have passed So 500 years of God telling his people, I have a land for you. And when we get to Joshua 16, you finally get the land. And this is important. This is very important. Because when we get to Joshua 16, we see Joshua begin to divide up the land. So let's let's look in 16 with me. So we see that he hands out land to Ephraim. And he hands out to half the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh splits into two tribes, basically. We'll talk about that here in a minute. All right. And you flip over to uh, 18, you see that Benjamin, Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Asher, Naphtali, Dan, Joshua. They all all these all these tribes get this promised land. All right. And by the time we get to Joshua 22, Joshua has divided out the whole promised land, to nine and a half tribes. Now the problem is that there are 12 tribes. So where did the other two and a half tribes go? Well, look in Joshua 22. And we're going to read in verse 1 this morning. It says that at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh. There's that other half that I said broke off. And he said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. So Moses is the 80-year-old dude that led him out of slavery. And you have obeyed my voice and all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan." Only be careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. So understand that what we see happening here is that the other two and a half tribes We're told you can go back across the Jordan and you can settle on the eastern banks of the Jordan while the other nine and a half settle in the promised land, which was on the west banks. Now, today, here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about, is settling for second best really a bad thing? Is it really a bad thing when we compromise or when we settle on things that we know that God desires for our life? And that's where we're going to park this morning. So, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We do this every Sunday at South Lakes. I'm going to give you two prayers to pray in your heart. Even please, online, join me in this. Number one, pray this in your heart God, help me to be present in this moment. And then pray, God, will you speak to me personally this morning? And Father, we just humbly submit ourselves at the throne room of grace and we ask that you would do a mighty movement not only in this room, but in all of our sick families at home that are watching online. I pray that your spirit would be such a prevalent, it would be just a tidal wave of your spirit moving in lives this morning. God, help us to really think through and process through your word about just settling for second best and really just to try to discern like what, what's the truth here? What's the application? God, work in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I want you to keep there on Joshua 22. Don't worry about changing over. But I do want us to go back to say, well, why in the world did these two and a half tribes decide to not go into the promised land that God had promised them for 500 years? And in order to do that, it's going to be up on the screen. We go all the way back to Numbers 32. And so this is what happens in Numbers 32. It says, Now the people of Reuben and the people of Gad had a very great number of livestock. And they saw the land of Jazeer and the land of Gilead, and behold, the place was a place for livestock. So the people of Gad and the people of Reuben came and said to Moses and to Eleazar, the priests, and to the chiefs of the congregation, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elilah, Sibam, Nebo, beyond the land that the Lord struck down before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. And they said, If we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So Reuben and Gad, they have a whole bunch of livestock, right? And so when they get to the east side of the Jordan, right before they cross over, they look around and they go, this is a great place for all of our livestock to settle. So they go to Moses and they begin to work out a deal. And so Moses says, okay, and and so here's what we're going to do. You can have this land for your... Livestock, but you have to send your armies over across the Jordan with your other nine and a half tribes to help them conquer the promised land that God had promised for 500 years, and then you can go back. And they're like, Deal. Now, by the time I, you said there's two and a half tribes, but I, we only mentioned Reuben and Gad, by the time we get to the end of 32, Manasseh's listening in, and they're like, That's a great deal. And so that's where the break happens. And so half the tribe of Manasseh, which apparently had a lot of livestock, said, we want in on that. And so that's what happens. And so we see that they just are making a very pragmatic decision. We have a lot of livestock, and we need a lot of land, okay? So this sermon, because I haven't preached in a month, has actually been a month in the making. And it started when my wife asked me a question that began to get the juices flowing and I began to think, okay, I don't know the answer to this question. And she asked me, do I think that the two and a half tribes were wrong for settling on the east side of the Jordan, even though God said they could? And I really have been processing this now, I did not know that today was the day that I was going to be preaching over this because we worked the sermon calendar out like a year in advance. And so we we mapped that all out. And then, you know, I, I go a couple of weeks out at a time. And so about two weeks ago as I began to prepare for this, I was like, oh, I see what you're doing there, Lord. Sneaky, sneaky. Using my wife to get me to think through this. That's a good one, God. Good one. And so I've been processing this for a while. And so I, after processing and looking at the big picture and really seeing just overall from a ten thousand foot view like what are the potential dangers of the two and a half tribes settling i mean really what what's the big deal they had a lot of livestock they needed a lot of land god said go for it but i think there's some potential dangers that are there and this is really where your sermon notes come in whether you got some on the way in or if you're online or if you want to use your phone for your sermon notes here's some things you need to know um One of the dangers of settling is this, is that those two and a half tribes were not going to know what they were missing out on. They weren't going to know what they were missing out on. And the reason I say this is because none of the people in charge of Reuben and Gad or the half tribe of Manasseh had ever actually stepped foot into the promised land to see what it had to offer Remember, they wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness so that everyone 20 years old and older, they died off, including the spies that came back and said, don't go in there. There are giants. So they never actually knew what they were missing out on. So they never were able to answer the question, is what we chose better than what we could have had? Let me think about it. God spent 500 years telling his people how incredible the land was. So here's a very quick one-minute overview of the land. It was very fertile. It had brooks and deep springs that gushed out into the valleys and the hills. The soil was rich, and it produced a heavy wheat, barley, vine, fig tree, pomegranate, and olive crops. The Bible itself describes as a land flowing with milk and honey. The soil was rich for agriculture and shepherding. It was surrounded by mountains, which supplied, supplied security and protection from both the elements and from enemies. And it has a very arid climate, which provides literally the perfect conditions for livestock to thrive. Now, we know that because hindsight's twenty twenty, but they knew none of this because they never set their eyes on it nor did they experience it for themselves. So they just assumed our decision to stop short is better than to go forward. Here's another danger. Is that they were more likely to be influenced by outsiders. They were more likely to be influenced by outsiders. See, they were removed from the center of life of the land and from their own people. Because they were no longer surrounded by like-minded people who shared the same values that they did who had the same culture as they had, who shared the same view of Yahweh as they did. No, now they were surrounded by pagan tribes or foreign tribes who had other gods and who had other priorities in their life and had different values. And so they were now surrounded not by like-minded people. They were surrounded by people who had a vastly different view on life. So they were much more likely to be influenced by others. Another risk is this, is there was a greater risk for territorial expansion by outsiders. I mean, just like today, land is very valuable and, and people fight all the time over land. And so back then, nations were fighting over the possession of land. So I'm gonna show you a, a, a map here. We actually posted this on uh, Facebook. I think it was yesterday we did. Um, and so on this what we see is how the tribes are divided. And so you see the blue line, that's the River Jordan, and you see Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. But you see to the east of those tribes and to the north and to the south, they are surrounded by foreign nations. And if Manasseh and Gad and Reuben thought to themselves, well, we have a whole lot of livestock, this land is good for our livestock, what would keep all the invading people or other nations to say, we want your land for our livestock. They weren't protected like, like the, the, the west side was. There was a greater chance for territory expansion. Here's another one. There was a great risk that they would have a lack of focus on the Lord, a lack of focus on the Lord. And the reason I say this is because the tabernacle was no longer going to be the central focus of, of them as a people, See, for 40 years as they wandered the wilderness, every time they would camp, they would put the tabernacle in the middle of the campground, and then they would put the 12 tribes on either side of the tabernacle. And what would happen is that God's presence would come down in a pillar of fire or a pillar of smoke. So anytime you woke up or anytime you were out and about, you could always look to the center of your camp and you knew God was there with them. They knew that. And when the pillar of fire would leave or the pillar of smoke would leave, it was time to pack up camp and to move. Well, no longer would God's presence be in the middle of the land that they call home. No longer would the Ark of the Covenant or the throne room of God, which was kept in the Holy of Holies, which is where God would reside when he would come down, no longer was that on the right side of the river for them. Now they lived in the land in which the tabernacle was not included. It was a lot harder to get across to go see, and so they had a greater risk of lacking focus on the Lord but here's the one that really, really got me going, and I, I, just, I just laugh, and I don't know what else to say, but I mean, you know, so many times when we make decisions, we know whether it's a good decision or not, right? It, it doesn't stop us from still pulling the trigger. So one potential danger is this. It was going to lead to future division between the two and a half tribes and the nine and a half tribes. So hopefully you're still in Joshua 22. We're going to look in verse 10. So Joshua says, go back home. We'll see you later. Peace out. All right? So here's what happens in 10. And when they, and the they is Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it said, Behold, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, In the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. So they go back and they build this giant altar. And the nine and a half tribes hear about it and they go, oh, they've already turned from God. They've already forsaken him. The only choice to do is let's gather our nine and a half armies and let's go kill them. That's the only illogical solution that we have here. And so they gather their tribes and they head out. And when they get there, they begin to question. Look in verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord What is this breach of faith that you've committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord? Have we not had enough of the sin of Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of the Lord that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord? And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over the Lord's land or pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord your God. (laughs) And so they go, okay, whoa, guys. I look at the language in 19. He goes, why don't you guys stop what you're doing because it's gonna end really badly for you and it's also gonna end badly for us. And look in 19, he says, why don't you come back over the Jordan and enter into the Lord's land? Well, that right there implies that what they're settling in is not the Lord's land. And he says, why don't you come over to where the Lord's tabernacle stands? Why don't you come be over on this side of the Jordan where you should have been the whole time? Because obviously, this is not going to go well. And if you go forward, God will not only exact... uh, Uh, discipline on you but he will visit discipline on all nine and a half tribes on this side because we're all communal in nature we're all one big family and so this is what happens verse 21 then the people of reuben the people of gad and the half tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of israel the mighty one god the lord the mighty one god the lord he knows let israel itself know if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the lord do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord, or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? So they said the reason we did it is because we are afraid not of your generation, but of future generations that our, our kids will spar against one another. We're afraid that there's going to be future division. And so what we're doing is we're trying to build something that will stop division from happening. And so, but everyone, all 12 tribes are saying the same thing. They're all saying, whether they realize it or not, we really all think this is a bad idea. And so we're building in protective gates so that when it gets bad, it doesn't get as bad as we think it's going to get. You know, if you were to take two lines and start them off in the same direction. And let's say that one line is off by one degree from, from, from the other line, okay? Because really, when we, when we settle or when we compromise, we don't really do it on big things, right? We do it on little things that we think, well, this is minor, it's really not going to matter in the end. Well, let's say that we start those two lines off and we're heading towards Newcastle this way, all right? And let's say that one line is off by one degree, By the time you traveled one foot, those two lines would now be separated by 0.2 inches. Not a big deal. By the time you've traveled a football field or 100 yards, those two lines would now be separated by 5.2 feet. By the time you travel a mile, you will now have been separated by 92.2 feet. Now here's the kicker. If you were to take off on two planes from San Francisco and both planes were heading to D.C., and that one plane was off by one degree, they would miss their target by 42 and a half miles and land on the other side of Baltimore. See, one degree of compromise might not seem like a big deal in the moment, but over time, it can lead to some some division. And that's what we see here. And they all saw that this this is not gonna end well. One degree makes a difference. So we kind of go back to like the root question, like is settling for second best, like is it really that bad of a thing? Okay, so yeah, you listed out some potential dangers, but is it really a bad thing? Well, let me first say that I don't believe that the two and a half tribes were sinning in any way. I don't think that they went out intentionally saying we're going to disobey God's command to go take his promised land that he's given a, a promise for 500 years. I think they did what Joey does. I think they pragmat- pragmatically looked at their situation and said, this looks good enough for me. I think I'll stay here. If they were wanting to really be a pain in the rear, they never would have asked permission. In fact, I believe wholeheartedly that if God would have said through Moses, no, they have to go across the promised land. I bet those two and a half tribes would have done it. I think they would have crossed the promised land. But They stayed. And they stayed. And by staying, there were a couple things that I think are bad that that, that were going to happen to them. Number one is this. They were placing themselves on a much harder path to stay faithful to the Lord and to his calling. They were facing a much harder path to stay faithful. Why? Well, we listed them because their outside influence was greater. Because they were an easier target for nations to attack. Because they were farther away from their symbol of relationship with Yahweh the probability of them falling away from devotion to the Lord was so much greater than if they would have gone into the promised land like God had intended them to for 500 years. But there's a second thing that I think is a pitfall here is that they would always be left wondering, what if? What if? What if we would have been fully obedient What if we would have gone where God wanted us to go? What if we wouldn't have settled? Now, I would be the first one to admit that there is a danger in playing the what-if game because if you're not careful, you could what-if yourself to death. You can. What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And then you're just staying up at night, just not sleeping, thinking about, well, what if I did this? What if I did this? But there is a reality that those two and a half tribes were never going to fully experience What might have been because they stopped just short of where God wanted them to be so the question is well why in the world would God allow them to stop just short I mean he sees all and he knows all the answer is simply this because God's not a tyrant God doesn't make us do anything right he he doesn't see God wants all of creation to worship him he wants all of creation to come to him and say and choose him and to love him well if he would have if he would tell us, no, you have to do this, you have to do that, you have to do that, that's not worship. That's actually the opposite of worship. That's like dictatorship, right? That's just someone telling us what they have to do. I mean, God, that's not how he does it. He doesn't force himself upon his people. He wants his people to say, I choose you over myself. I mean, we do this all the time. We settle and we compromise all the time, which is why I'm really grateful that verses like Romans eight twenty-eight are in the Bible, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. I'm really glad that verse is in the Bible. Why? Because it tells me that God can take my time of compromise and still work it out for good. And I need that because I am not a very bright person. And I probably compromise way more than I realize. And I probably settle for for second place way more than I realize. But I'm so grateful that God says, well, I can work that out. So I've been processing and I've been like, okay, so how does this like, what's the application of this for our church? Because we're a very, we're a very young church first off, right? I mean, we are, we're a young church, but we're also a diverse church, all right? I mean, we've got more babies than we can count, but we go all the way up to senior adults, you know, and then we've got all sorts of people in between. And so I really wanted to thank, because if we just sat here all day and talked about ways that we compromise, I mean, we'd just be here all day, right? And you probably wouldn't come back next week, right? Because we'd just be, we just be writing down a list, but I really was like, man, what are three ways in particular that we can compromise? And so I came up with three. I hope they're pretty diverse and I hope that they apply at least one of them to everyone in the room. I think there are there are many ways that Christians compromise, and here are the three that I see are, are some of the worst. Number 1 is this. We compromise in our marriage. We compromise in our marriage. Now, this could be pre-marriage, but this could also be post-marriage ceremony. So let me explain both. You know, as a Christian, and, and, and ladies do this more than men, although men, men are also guilty of this. But we've got a checklist, right? I'm looking for this in, in my forever guy, right? Boom, 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 boom. And you find that person, but they don't check off all the list. But you go, that's okay. It's close enough. We see this a lot with people marry non-believers. Well, it's okay. We'll get them saved after the wedding. And so we, we compromise on things. And maybe we compromise because we don't think we're good enough to be loved. And so we think, well, if they're gonna say yes to me or if, I'm gonna, if they're gonna ask, then I better snare this one right now because I might not get another chance. Right, so this might be my only good chance that I have. And Maybe that's why we say yes and we compromise. But I think that after we get married, Christian couples compromise all the time. See, the Bible's very clear. The Bible is very clear on this is what God desires for marriage, and this is what God desires for a healthy marriage and a happy marriage, and this is what God desires of the man, and this is what God desires of the woman, and this is what God desires, and all those things. And we compromise. And we go, well, you know what? I don't I don't really need to pray with my spouse. Or I don't really need to talk about the Bible with my spouse. Or I don't really need to go to church. Or I don't really need to do this. Or I don't really need to do that. And I love Jesus and my spouse loves Jesus and that's good enough for us. And so we compromise. We settle for second best in our marriage. Not that I'm saying you should go look for another partner. What I'm saying is that we are just both happy with settling Now, the question is, can you have a happy and long-lasting marriage if you settle as Christians? I think you can. I really do. I think you can. I think you can have a happy marriage. Will it be super challenging work? Well, marriage is hard enough as it is, but if you're settling, yeah, it's going to be really, really hard. And will you struggle in some areas more than others? Absolutely you will, especially if you marry an unbeliever. Absolutely. I think many times we settle in our marriages. I think we go, well, this is good enough. I think another area that Christians settle in is this, and I think we're reaping what we sow in this. We settle in uh, discipling our children. And I think this shows itself in multiple ways. I think one way of lack of discipleship is this, is that we lack consistency when it comes to discipline. By the way, I'm not saying you know, spank your kid, don't spank your kid. I'm not here to tell you the right or the, the, right or the wrong way to disciple your to discipline your kid. what I'm saying is that the Lord says if we love our children, then we will discipline them so we can point them to the Lord. That's just, that's just the truth, okay? But when we lack doing that, or my wife and I are walking through this right now, we are really stinking and following through with our consequences. So I have a 10-year-old, I have four girls, but my two oldest are a 10 and a seven-year-old. And you can't really call them friends right now. You can call them frenemies, all right? Um, yes, I think part of it is that they're both girls. I think part of it is just 10 and seven-year-olds might be some of the worst children in the world, all right? I mean, they're just, they just fight. And so, um, so when they fight, Like, mom and I lay out consequences. And maybe a consequence is hey, you have to go to bed early, you can't go outside and play with your friends. And so, what happens is my kids, after we lay down the consequence, become saints. And as they become saints, they do everything. It's yes, ma'am, yes, sir. Can I, can I blow up the tire for you today, dad? Can I go wash the car? You know, mom, you look tired. Ty- Let me rub your feet for you. I mean, it's like, what can I, it's not that bad, right? I wish, right? But what happens is that after three or four hours, mom and I look at each other and we go, well, they've been so good. They've been so, that's just, let's just not worry about it. My kids know this and they play this against us. And so Christy and I have been having conversations and we're like, we gotta stop. We're not doing our kids any favors by not following through on consequences or lacking consistency because we're called to disciple our children. I think we, we compromise in discipling our children when we fail to fill their lives with things that the Bible says is important because it's hard to have conversations with your kids about the Bible because my goodness, what if they ask you a question that you actually don't know the answer to? No one wants to look stupid in front of their kids. So it's easier to not have the conversation to avoid that than to have the conversation. So we fill our kids' lives with everything except for biblical teaching, except for the things that God says are important. And we fill them with everything else, not bad things, just other things. Now, will our kids still turn out okay if we fudge a little bit and if we settle? I think most likely, I think most likely they will. But will our kids be who God wants them to be? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Why? Because I have failed in pointing them to Jesus and showing them during the 18 to however many years they're under my roof, I have failed in pointing them to why Jesus is most important. I have failed in that. And so if I have failed during the time they've been under my tenure, under my umbrella of protection, then why in the world would they choose Jesus when they get out on their own? Think about it, every generation... For the last, I would say at least the last three generations, maybe the last four generations have settled on discipling their kids. And what do we see? We see the state that it's got us in. All COVID did was reveal the state of of the United States and the Christian world. That's all COVID did. It didn't make it worse. It just showed us who we really were. So the third thing is this. The third thing that we compromise in is this. It's is our relationship with Christ. You know, this is where we don't spend time feeding the soul because we're too busy feeding the flesh. And I'm not talking about food, by the way. Or when we strive to be a good person and live a good life because after all, that's what Christians are supposed to do. But we actually don't put time into the practical things that God wants to do in, heart, in our hearts. And don't even talk to me about relying upon the Holy Spirit because who's got time for that? I'll figure it out on my own. So we, we say things like, well, I know the Lord says, like, test me with your finances and see if I can't provide for you. Yeah, but you know what? I'm kind of happy where I am. No, be in community and see how you can sharpen one another and see what the Lord can do in community. Yeah, I'm kind of happy where I am. kind of busy. Come to corporate worship or or. Be, a, be the light in your work, or yeah, you know, I'm just gonna keep my head down. I'm just gonna keep plowing ahead. Now, can you still have a good, happy life if you compromise in your relationship with the Lord? I think you can. I think you can. But can we experience the abundant life that Jesus promises us in John 10? Absolutely not. Why? Because we've compromised. Because we've stopped just short. See, this used to be so easy. Like, see, noticing when people are settling just short used to be easy. Like, let's take the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God laid down ten rules, and and he's like, hey, listen, sixth commandment, don't kill, easy, where's the body, right? Like, Moses kills an Egyptian guard, tries to bury the body in the sand. He shows up the next day to talk to two Jews that are fighting against one another, and they're like, hey, why are you fighting? What are you going to do? You might kill one another, and they look at him and go, well, you're one to talk. You killed a guy already. That's an easy thing to spot. Seventh commandment, stop. Don't look at another man's wife. Don't commit adultery. That's a pretty easy one. Like, have you been shacking up with someone that's not your spouse? Like, it's, we, we, it's, it's, there's ways to figure that out. But man, then Jesus had the audacity to show up on the scene and change it. Because he shows up to a bunch of people that are really good at following the rules and he says, oh, God's not really into you just following the rules. He's more interested in what's going on inside of your heart. And Jesus begins to expose something that we are very good at in 2022 because the reality is that you and I can do everything outwardly that a quote unquote good Christian can be doing and still be very far from God. We have a word for that or a phrase for that. It's called playing the church game. Like, I don't know what your relationships are like outside of this. I know who you are on a Sunday morning. And even that is like sporadic if we're just gonna be honest. And so we can play the church game really well, but Jesus shows up and says, hey, you know that sixth commandment? Don't kill. Yeah, have you ever been like really angry with someone? Yeah, same thing. Hey, you know that seventh commandment? Stop, don't look at another man's wife. Don't commit adultery. Have you ever lusted after a coworker? Have you ever been scrolling on the internet one night late and maybe clicked on something you shouldn't have? Yeah. Same thing. Like, let's go back to my kids, right? Like, I'm supposed to discipline my kids. So here's the thing I know about my kids. Like, my kids can obey mom and dad's rules, but man, you sure can tell when their heart's not in it. (laughs) Right? You can tell. Like, kids are the worst at hiding their feelings. Man, adults are really good we're really, really good. And so my calling as a disciple maker in my house is not just to simply address the disobedience of my kids, but more importantly, it's to address the heart issues that my kids are dealing with. So I have, like I said, I have four kids, three of them all born within two weeks of each other. God's sense of humor is just, ha ha, so funny. All right. So so we did we were doing a th- joint birthday party for all three. My youngest turns one, big deal, smash cake, awesome. Oh, you know, we Chrissy and I stay up you know, late on Friday night and we get, we get the house ready and the girls go to bed and they're so excited because grandmas and grandpas and all these people are coming and I wake up on, on Saturday morning and apparently I just slept like a log because I had no clue. Christy, my wife, rolls over and says, hey, um, Emmeline, our two-year-old, threw up all night. And I was like, well, that stinks. Shortly thereafter, my two younger my two older girls pop into the room. And we say, hey, we gotta cancel the party. I'm sorry, m has been throwing up. And uncontrollable sobbing. I've been looking forward to this forever. Blah, 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 la, la, da da. So after they calm down, we're like, listen, it's okay to feel bad that your birthday party got postponed. But let's talk about selfishness for a minute. You've never once asked your mom who was up late decorating, and stayed up all night with Emmeline, cleaning throw-up-up. Like you never ask her how they're doing. You never ask how Emmeline was doing. She's sleeping in bed. You know Uncle Marty? Yeah, he's dealing with cancer. He's going through radiation treatment right now. He has very low white blood cell count. He stays home. He works from home so he doesn't get sick. He was going to come to your birthday party you need to think about him. And you could just see the wheel. See, I don't just say stop being selfish. It's, hey, let's talk about what's going on in the heart. Let's address what's happening in the heart, because that's what the Lord is looking for. But the problem is what happens many times, the cry of our hearts is the same cry that Reuben and Gad had to Moses. I'm going to put it up here. It's Numbers 32, five. they said, if we found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants for a possession, but do not take us across the Jordan. See, the cry of my heart, and I bet the cry of your heart many times is this, hey, please let me be happy where I am. I don't wanna go any further than where I am right now. Let me stay right here. And this is why we need accountability, because we need someone that's going to say, no, 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 don't stop here. Look across the river. Look on the other side. Look what's going on here. You need to keep pressing on. You know, there's two primary reasons that people leave church, okay? Okay. Uh, one reason is because a church is not offering enough activities for them, and so they leave to go to a church that offers activities. They treat church kind of like a cruise ship. Like, what what do you have for me? Church is not about you. That's another sermon for another time. Okay, but that's one primary reason. But the primary reason that people leave South Lakes, in my experience, is this: is because people love to talk about accountability, but when you begin to hold people accountable, they bounce because they really don't like accountability. Because it's okay if I can call someone else out and say, no, keep going forward. But when you do it to them, they're like, deuces, I'm gone. But the reality is that the cry of my heart is I'm happy where I am. Let me be. And the call of all of our lives, if you're a Christian in this room, is to help point each other past whatever you're going through and say, no, keep going forward don't give up why because God desires more for you than just settling where you are so our goal at South Lakes in 2022 is simply this we want everyone to increase in their devotion level to the Lord and so we wanted to make it super simple and so we have this map and the map it says this there's three levels one level is hey join us in reading through the bible the second level is read through the Bible, listen to a podcast which goes through the reading for that day. It kind of expounds upon what you've read. And then the third level is this, add a Bible study that also goes through what you're reading. And the reason we want in- us to increase is because we don't want us to settle. We don't want us to settle. And so what I would say is this, I think we're a quarter of the way through 2022 now. We just finished up um, day 86 of our reading plan. And I would encourage everyone, now's a great time to, to, to level up. They don't settle. And so for some of you, your Bible reading looks like this. Don't read for five days. Catch up on day six on all six days. Then your level up is be consistent. It is. But some of you, you're like, no, I haven't missed a day yet. Well, you know what? You need to go deeper in understanding the theology behind your reading. You need to plug into the, the podcast. By the way, everything is on the app. It's all on the app under Bible resources. The Bible reading plan, the, app, the, the podcast, it's all right there. Okay, and if you've been doing that, then I would say, well, then you need to go on to the Bible study to ask yourself key questions so that you're processing for yourself. Like, now's a good time to level up. Now's a good time to say, well, I'm not gonna stop here. Why, because our growth with Jesus is a never-ending, ending journey. And it ends when either this ticker stops inside of you or Jesus comes back, whichever happens first. That's when the journey stops. But we shouldn't settle and say, I'm happy where I am with my walk. No, we should always be pressing forward into a deeper walk with him. So I've been thinking a lot about it because you know how you close is like key. So how how do I get this across that will hopefully help it make sense for everyone? So I've got a story. It's one of my favorite stories because it's about a five-year-old girl and I have four girls. So this girl is a five-year-old by the name of Jenny. And Jenny was shopping with her mom one day in the grocery store. And as they were at the checkout line, you know, there's that, um, you know, the, the gum section and all the little junk stuff, you know, that you're like, oh, impulse buys. Well, there was a plastic pearl necklace on that counter there. And so Jenny says, mom, 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 please, 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 please. And Jenny's mom looked at he and says, well, it's 2 dollars 5 that's a lot of money. So you're gonna have to work for it. She goes, mom, I'll do whatever you want. Just give me all the chores in the world. I'll do, I'll do. And Jenny's mom's like, okay, that's cool. So Jenny's mom buys the necklace and she comes up with a list of chores and over time, Jenny works off her debt. And Jenny loved these things. I mean, loved them, wore them everywhere. You could not get these pearl necklaces this pearl necklace off of her. In fact, the only time she took it off is when she was taking a bath or a shower, and that's because her mom told her that her neck would turn green if she did it. Okay? That's how much she loved this pearl necklace. Jenny's dad would always come into her room every night, ask her how, she, how her day was, kiss her goodnight, pray over her, tuck her in. So one night, Jenny's dad comes in and says, Hey, Jenny, do you love daddy? Jenny says, oh, daddy, you know, you're my favorite. I love you so much. And Jenny's dad says, can I have your necklace? And Jenny goes, no, no. You can have anything you want, but you can't have that. You can have my dolly that I sleep with every night. You know how much I love her. You can have that, but daddy, please don't take my necklace. And Jenny's dad says, it's okay. Gave her a kiss, tucked her in, prayed for her. About a week later, Jenny's dad comes in. Same thing, Jenny, you love me? Oh, daddy, I love you so much. Can I have your necklace? Oh, daddy, no. You could not have, daddy, you could have all of my My Little Pony collection, have it all, but please, don't take away my necklace. Jenny's dad said, it's okay. Gave her a kiss, tucked her in, prayed for her. Went out. A couple days later, Jenny's dad walks in and Jenny is on the side of the bed, bawling uncontrollable. That just ugly cry. And Jenny's dad says, Jenny, what is the matter? She goes, Daddy, I love you so much. You can have my pearls. Well, Jenny's dad started to cry. And as he reached out to grab the pearls from Jenny, he reached into his pocket. And he handed Jenny a bag like this. And Ginny says, what's this? And her dad said, just open it. So she opened it. And what it was, was a real pearl necklace. See, he had it the whole time. He just needed Ginny to get to a place where she was willing to give up the thing that she thought was most precious so that he could give her something better. See, when we settle for second best. We hold on to the cheap costume jewelry and God says, but I want to give you the real thing. That's what settling does. Settling stops just short of what God desires for us. And it's a constant journey of moving forward and being together and pressing into each other and saying, come on, I know you want to give up, Let's keep going. On your notes or in your phone or wherever you are, there's three questions that I think are so critical to ask. Here's the three questions. The first one is this. What is God calling you to do right now? Based on what we talked about about settling, what is God calling you to do right now in this moment? The second question that I would ask you is this, who can go with you after you make that decision? And the third question is when will this be done by? Now the reason I think these are so important is this, let's say that you think or that you feel like the Lord's next step is you want to go a step further. You've been reading the Bible and you want to go to the podcast. So your decision, what's God calling you to do right now? I want to know more about what I'm reading. I'm going to listen to the podcast. Fantastic. Who's going to go with you? Well, you know what? My wife's not listening to the podcast right now. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to say, hey, Christy, will you join me? let's, Let's do this together. And when are we going to do this? Well, we're not going to do it tomorrow. We're not going to do it next week. Let's start today. We're communal. We're called to do this life together. So what is God calling you to do? And who can you bring alongside of you to say, will you help hold me accountable? And will you do this with me? And then do it. What is your next step? Because I think if we're honest, at least what I've had to be really honest, is that I am way too happy with this in my life. With my parenting, with my marriage, with my pastoring, with all things. And I want to learn to want this. And it starts with a willingness to let go And saying, I will not settle. I will keep going forward. Can I pray for you guys? Father, I come to you in the mighty name of Jesus. And Father, I will be the first one to confess in this room that I am definitely a compromiser. I definitely settle for second best way more than I should. Father, your son was very clear that he came so that we may have life abundantly. That we may have a fullness of life that many times we jip ourselves out of. Why? Because we choose to like the fake stuff instead. Because our attitude is no different than Reuben and Gad where we say, you know what, we're happy where we are, please don't make us go any further. And the cry of the Christian life is no. Keep pressing in. Keep moving forward in your walk. Keep walking by faith. And so Father, I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for all the people that are watching online. I pray for the compromises we make. For the times that we settle. And I pray that today you would reveal to us in the areas that we are settling in, that we would just focus on one. What is that action step that you desire for everyone in this room and everyone online to take? And that we would start with a little step, that little step of obedience. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, even at home, let me ask you those three questions again. And I really want you to think about it for just a second. What is God calling you to do right now? Secondly, who can go with you as you go forward? And thirdly, when will this be done by? When will you put it into practice? So if you look up here for a second. I want to give you one action item as your pastor. I start off the service by saying, who's your one? Who's that person that you want to be praying for? And who's the one that you really want to take that step of faith maybe and invite? And So here in a moment, as the band's going to be playing, I would invite you to come up front and just pray for that one person there's nothing special about coming up front it's more about the posture of our heart but I would invite you to come up and say you know what I'm going to pray for Jill or whoever your person is if you're at home do this too do it with your kids I think in great action items with Easter three weeks away we ask ourselves who's our one because your one is not my one because your people are different than my people that would be an action item as a pastor that I would put on our church and say, let's do it. Let's pick that one family, that co-worker, that neighbor, that crazy aunt, whoever it is, and let's pray for that person. So I'm going to just quick prayer here, and then I'm going to actually do it myself. I'm going to pray for my family that I'm not, that I'm going to be inviting. And I would invite you guys to join me up here, and they're going to sing over us while we do that. And then we'll have a, a closing announcement or two and we'll get out of here okay father i pray that you would just press into our hearts the one person that we have an opportunity to reach that no one else can and we submit those names to the throne room of grace right now thanks again for listening to this message for more information about South Lakes church go to slchurch.life